I only started having a positive relationship with my dad about seven days before he committed suicide. And I wouldn't say I felt responsibility as much as I felt more pain because it was the first time ever that I saw good in my dad without ever having experienced that at a big scale throughout my lifetime made me really miss him. I mean, I remember in the morning before I was leaving for work after one of the nights where we just had a couple beers and stuff, I had work. He was hungover, still in bed. And I remember standing at the door. I, I like peeked my head in. I saw him still sleeping. It's maybe seven in the morning. And I was like, I really want to go tell him bye. And then I didn't. I shut the door and I left. And that is, that's the last like living memory I have of my dad was me wishing I told him, have a good day. Vance, I know you told me a little bit about, you know, what happened with your father, but it's not my part to explain your own story. So wherever you want to start, please do. And I do appreciate you being on here and uh, just sharing your story. So please, uh, if you want to start from the top, wherever you're comfortable with, we can, we can roll from there. Uh, dude, number one, David, thank you so much for putting this together, having me on and, uh, you know, wanting to help people through the grief process. It's really um, scary, really messy sometimes. And uh, I think a great first step is just tell your story too. And don't be, don't be afraid of it. You know, don't let the stories control the rest of our lives. And when you say stories, do you mean just what you've gone through? Yeah, just uh, the grief process. I think um, when you hide from your grief and try to kind of self-medicate in whatever way, it could be, you know, alcohol, drugs, sex, sleeping, you know, I think there's a lot of ways that people numb, including just uh, consuming tons of social media just to escape their reality. But I think a great first step is to just jump in, grab some people that you love and tell them, tell them what happened in full. Leading with that, man, I'm just going to be brutally honest and totally straight up and uh, try to just exude the bravery that I hope everyone else listening can have one day too. My dad was an alcoholic, extremely just upset at life, hated his job, fought with my mom all the time, was very abusive, not, not physically, but emotionally to the rest of us in the family. And uh, growing up was just really hard. We didn't have a lot of money. And so that really, you know, exacerbated emotions um, across our family. Plenty of days didn't eat. That's kind of where life began going very wrong. I think for my dad, he was kind of the cool guy, you know, in high school, like people liked him. And when he was, you know, 40 and life is no longer even close to that ideal figure who he was, you know, in high school, I think, you know, some darkness began to set into him. And, uh, this one day, end of July, back in 2008, my, uh, my dad committed suicide. And, uh, that's really where the trauma began with me. At the time I was 18 years old. My parents just got a divorce. My dad was laid off of work. So there was like, you know, all these dominoes falling and uh, at 18, I became the executor of my dad's estate because my parents were newly separated and I was 18. He left me in debt with like over $30,000 or so. And uh, two of my aunts sued me along with my grandma. And I've forgiven them completely after 13 years, but I think they were just attempting to place blame on my dad's death. And, uh, you know, people behave really oddly in grief. I think 
anyone listening to this will understand that. So, um, you know, I've chosen to forgive them. That doesn't mean I have to associate with them. But that whole next road, man, that's really where I feel like my life actually started. Before then, I was young, didn't know myself, didn't know what I wanted to do. I was just kind of going along with the grain. I thought I wanted to play football in college. And uh, I'm really glad I never got that opportunity because I didn't actually want that. So through my dad's death and my grief process, uh, people were just starting to come for me, man. Like I owe tons of people a lot of money, you know, and, and, and at 18, I was working like I was working 40 hours a week, but I was making like 350 bucks like per two weeks, you know, like that's going to take me 20 years to pay. That whole thing was so uncomfortable. I kind of, I had to change. I was, you know, a kid backed in the corner, creditors, lawyers, my family's calling me asking for their money and stuff. And I have like, you know, $300 to my name. It was just hard. And so I just woke up and I was like, I can freaking do this. I'm going to pay this all off. And at the end of that goal, then I'm going to put myself through college and be the first person in my, in my family to graduate college. So for two and a half years, I just worked my butt off, got another job, took everyone's shift whenever, like, you know, whenever they called out or wanted someone to fill in, I took every single shift for over two years. And once I got that paid off and finally, you know, lived my dream of going to college finally and, and getting an education and bettering myself, I realized that I have so much more confidence, you know, and it is not because of the event, but it's through the grief process and doing my best to just, you know, feel each emotion. Don't hide from it. When you're angry, just be angry. When you're in denial, just sit with that. There's nothing to fear. And it's all just, it's all just an attempt to like change the direction, the trajectory of your life, if you allow it to, rather than, you know, just stuffing it down and hoping that it goes away when I don't really believe that that's a, a very effective plan of action. Yeah, it's incredible that you understood that. So is that something you learned immediately in regards to understanding your feelings? Or was there a level of lessons to be learned because you felt all this stuff and you know if it was right or wrong? So I feel like, uh, you know, your thought process on the grief process, so you said 13 years, it was 13 years ago, right? You were 18? 13 years, yep. So you've had 13 years to reflect on this, right? I wonder, is that something that you inherently kind of figured out? Or is this something over the years that you figured out in regards to understanding the importance of just feeling what you feel? Oh man, over the years, I'm not going to even pretend that I was perfect. I, I mean, I remember during the darkest times, it was like, I'd be in my room at like 18, 19, 20, just like drinking vodka at like four in the morning, you know, like I did not do a good job of, of doing what I'm, I'm saying, you know? So definitely a huge lesson there. I'm really glad that I had a goal. You made a decision. You seemed very decisive about deciding to make a change and you did. Yeah. And the goal was, you know, I want to go to college. So the only way that I'm able to do that is to first pay off this debt because otherwise if I don't, you know, it'll be, it'll go to creditors or I, you know, I don't even know. I was 18, you know? So how soon after, sorry, how soon after his death did uh, all that, that, the wave storm of creditors and people uh, saying, you was that immediately or was it, um, what was the timeline? Do you remember? Like less than a month, but probably probably close to it. Wow. Okay. So that's fast. Yeah. My thought process when you were telling me this story is, okay, you, you had a lot to handle directly after your father's death. Besides the, you know, the actual mourning and grief of the death of your father, besides the way he did it, did you have time? What, what was the time period of actually 
you know, experiencing that grief? Because it seemed like you maybe had a lot of shit going on. Was the debt issue, was that distracting you from any part of the grief process or, or feeling about your dad's loss? Yeah, I'm sure it did. That's a really, that's a really good question. I'm sure that it did in, in more than probably a few ways because I was like kind of in fight or flight mode, you know? I didn't really have a choice. And the only thing that I could do was just work harder or work smarter. But I couldn't do that at 18. You also, you said, how long did the grief process take me? Well, not necessarily. I mean, that's another question. Feel free to answer because, you know, I, I, I feel like the grief process, especially something as close as that, I'm not sure if it ever ends. But it was more just uh, the combination of losing your father. And once again, I, I don't want to highlight anything, but in the way he did is so traumatic along with any death. But it was more, uh, I was wondering how you blended the stress of having to owe this money at 18 that you just burdened on your shoulders while mourning your father. So I just, my question really was, was it a distraction in a potentially good way? Did it subside, did it subside anything because you were distracted? Did it delay the grieving process because you had so much stress? Man, again, like that is, that's such a good question. It definitely was a distraction, but I would say in a, in a positive way, because it forced me to create goals and stick to them. Um, you know, if I didn't, then I, I really don't know what may have happened, but I had, I had to stick to these goals. Um, it's not really that I either had the goal and I couldn't mourn. It's not really one or the other. I feel like we did do a good job us like as a family um, we did do a good job, each of us individually, in our own different ways. You know, do you have siblings? Yes, I have. I have two siblings. Um, I have a younger brother and a younger sister. My younger sister is is severely disabled, though, so she, like, for instance, doesn't like know who I am. But uh, yeah, it was really interesting because I went into a very like reclusive mode when it all happened. But my brother did the total opposite and was just going out, hanging out with friends. So, yeah, I mean, I think, but that was, that was his grief process versus mine. I don't think anyone is like better or more correct than the other. Um, so long as what you're doing is coming from, from a positive angle. Right. Especially moving forward. I, sometimes in the time, I wonder if you could even tell if it's, if it's doing the right thing off the cuff. If, if I wonder, did you see your brother going out since it was the opposite of you handled it? What was your thought process in the time? Were you, were you thinking, okay, maybe he's not feeling it like me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we fought about it all the time. He was 16 and I was 18. And um, I, I was like, dude, you're just, I, for lack of better terms, like milking this. Um, this was a little bit before social media. And uh, I, again, like just graduated high school. And my brother was still in high school. So people from school, like knew me, the football team, you know, what have you. And I kind of felt like, this is just me saying this, but I kind of felt like he was sort of using it for attention and it pissed me off, you know? And I think after time though, he proved me to be wrong. Um, it's not like he was suddenly like the coolest kid in the state or something, you know, but, but yeah, it was just kind of, that was his process versus mine. And looking back, whatever is going to serve you best, like try to take that route. Yeah. And, and at the time, I mean, it's, it's so much, you have so much going on. So how do you even know what that route is? Um, unfortunately or fortunately, you just got to, you're kind of getting just thrown in the fire. So I don't know. Is this your first experience? Was that your first experience with losing someone? Yeah. Yeah. So what, you know, what the hell do you know? You know, what, I'm not, even if you have experienced it, it's like, how do you handle it? But uh, yeah, just for example, I mean, just the amount of 
trauma that a person can feel like I, I, you and I briefly spoke about this, but I definitely had a huge blackout moment also. So me, my mom and my brother found my dad after it was all after work one day. I didn't have a car. My mom had to come pick me up. So she got my brother from, from football practice, came and got me. And then we went home and uh, my dad was in the closet but that's where my mind went blank. It was, it was crazy. And I thought that I didn't do anything and didn't try to help. But my mom later told me like, no, you were like helping there and um, telling your brother like what to do. But it was weird because that's when my mind went blank. And the next thing I remember was like standing in my neighbor's yard, talking to my now ex-girlfriend. It's just really interesting. I think our brains can be so powerful that they at times know what they're protecting us against before we're ready to actually, you know, consume it, grow from it, learn from it. Yes. And that that defense mechanism, if you will call it that, it's curious because I had a very similar thing only as we discussed, but mine was felt longer. You know what I mean? That's yours seems so specific that it easily defined. I'm a psychiatrist, but that really blocked out a, like besides that whole, you know, macro view of you losing your father and that is so massive but that moment of find of finding your father i can't even fathom or begin to pretend to understand because that in itself has just got to be such a shock factor that it's it's really remarkable how your body just blocks that out immediately and i just wonder what the effect is down the road you know what i mean because if if you don't if you, you don't remember that but clearly that's still imprinted in your head so do you, do you ever think of uh the long-term effects of a moment like that or do you not even know no, I have no idea. It's still kind of like Swiss cheese-ish, I would say. It's I, like I remember some stuff from in the closet and then I remember some stuff. Right. And then there's other things that I don't remember, you know. But it was it was all extremely quick moving um, because we were trying to, you know, call 911 immediately and like start chest compressions and um, make my like get make sure my sister is safe. Um yeah, it was just, there were so many things that we all, I think, kind of knew needed to be happening simultaneously that we all just like went to work and tried to get it done. So do you remember the first year? I mean, that's an arbitrary number, but do you remember the first year of how you handled it in regards to, were you expressive about it or were you inward about it? You said reclusive was the word you said, but were you for that first year or whatever, did you keep it all inside? Um, it was definitely, I did not, I was very afraid of it. Um, my dad he was definitely the, the breadwinner. So like I said, we were, we weren't rich by any means. We were pretty poor. Um, so with him then also having no income, cause you know, he's no longer living. Um, it was just a lot of fear. And I think that the first year was really stressful because our family as a whole now needed to like regain its, um, finances for one, but you know, emotions number two, I think we we did something once that was uh, it was supposed to be kind of funny, but it ended up I think being really healing for all of us. So it was the my dad's first birthday after you know committing suicide, and I was like, you know what, guys, like I'm just gonna go I'm gonna go get a cake because who doesn't love cake? And it's just any excuse to have cake. I'm gonna take it. So I go get this cake. We do like we put candles in it, light it, and then um, my mom starts singing the happy birthday song. And so we all like start singing the song and it was like kind of funny. And then it just turned really sad. I mean, we're now like, we put it at his spot, like on the table and we're all sitting around as if he's like still here with us and the song ends. And like, 
the birthday person blows out the candles, right? So, I mean, what do you, so now we feel like crushed the first year, you know, realizing he's, he is gone. He's never coming back. And I think it was a really powerful moment though, because it kind of forced us all to the acceptance like area, probably for the first time. I think there's a lot of denial, you know, and anger and all the other steps that are just uncomfortable. And that was the first time I think we all collectively felt just a shred of acceptance, not because of it happening, but accepting that this is a new reality that we need to like embrace and grow from. Otherwise, I mean, you're just stuck in that grief, grief cycle, you know, over and over and over until you get it. Yeah. That's a really, that's an amazing story. I feel like that's uh it makes it makes it. There's so many things I'm taking from that because it was ta- it made it almost tangible in a way of a, and of, of a mutual experience to all go through together, and it's such a symbolic message at the same time. And I, I think that kind of messes me up thinking, you know, besides the fact of having him not there blowing the candle, that moment leading up to it is like so happy, and then all of a sudden you get smacked in the face with, even though you know no one's blowing out the candle. That that has to be such a symbolic amount of healing. And that's amazing that you guys shared that. But I'm curious, who blew out the candles? Oh, I don't remember. Let's just say we all did it at the same time, <laughs> just for fun. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's cool. So, how, how did you guys? Were you as a family vocal about it? I know I asked you you individually, just in general, but how how was the communication between you guys as a family? Yeah, that's a really good question. the uh, The behavior I was, like within my family changed drastically once uh, once we all went through this. And we just really learned to appreciate and like actually love each other and tell each other and want like want to be there for each other. And uh, we started saying, I love you. You know, we were one of those families who never really said it. We didn't communicate. We never talked about each other's day. But post that, we really actually started like investing in each other's lives and caring because you just some some death is quick, you know, and you never know when that might happen. So it's really great that I can be on this side now of the fence and be like, Hey, like even to my friends, I'll, I'll just hit them up and be like, Hey, like, hope you're having an awesome day. Love ya. I'll see ya. And I think I've learned that's been a huge lesson that I learned through my grief process was to just appreciate every human life in front of me. Good on you. Good on you. And, and, and you said it was, you know, it was obviously quick. So my question to kind of transition from that word that you just used I mean, it seems like you didn't leave a note or anything, but I don't know if this is the right way to ask the question, but did you see this coming? Were there signs? And what did you see coming out of this, if, if anything at all? It's like, a, it's like a yes and no type answer. I would say probably when I was like eight to 10 years old, my dad, that was the first time I remember my dad like mentioning suicide. Directly to you? Yeah. He was like extremely drunk one night and he told me like, I, I don't want to die of old age. I am going to... I'm going to commit suicide. And he maybe mentioned it like one or two times in the next decade um, before actually doing it. Um, but he never, he was never violent toward himself really. And I think so many of us do this. So many, so many, um, I guess, suicide survivors. I, I don't know if there's a better term. Um, so many suicide survivors blame themselves, you know, it's like, oh, I could have done more. I could have done this, could have done that. Yeah, I mean, we could have, but we didn't. And you can place blame all day if you want on yourself or your family members or any one specific person. But I don't really believe that that 
gets you to toward your goal of of you know getting to the acceptance phase of of grief. Was there at any point you uh, you felt that what you're explaining that I felt responsible or someone in my family? Or, yeah, just in, yeah. Was there, was there any of that? So you're explaining in a sense of self, such wisdom that I wonder if that came from a place where you experienced it yourself or not. Uh, yeah, you know, I did. I just really started having a relationship with my dad, like maybe a week before this, like all my friends left for college, right? Was living in kind of a more wealthy city though. Like we were not that. Um, so all my friends left, didn't really have friends in town anymore. So I would kind of like hang out with my dad, have like a beer or two with him. And I hated it, hated beer. You're more of a wine guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wine all day. So I only started having a positive relationship with my dad about seven days before he committed suicide. And I wouldn't say I felt responsibility as much as I felt more pain because it was the first time ever that uh, I saw good in my dad, you know, and without ever having experienced that at a big scale throughout my lifetime made me really miss him, you know? And it, and it was like, Oh my gosh, like this sucks. I should have done this, should have done that. I mean, I remember in the morning, before I was leaving for work after like one of the nights where we just had a couple beers and stuff. Um, I had work, he was hungover, still in bed. And I, I remember standing at the door. I, I like peeked my head in. I saw him still sleeping. It's maybe seven in the morning. And I was like, I really want to go tell him bye, you know? And then I didn't, I shut the door and I left. And that is, that's the last like living memory I have of my dad was me wishing I told him, have a good day. You know, I'm going to work. Lots of lessons in that, in that too. I think just about appreciating people and um, letting them know. You know, that, that, that moment is so heartbreaking. And at the same time, it's so, and, and in that moment, when you had the opportunity to say goodbye, it's so trivial at the same time, because it just seemed like another day. So like, it's not like the biggest deal, but at the same time, it is the biggest deal. So I feel for you there. But it seemed like what you said earlier in regards to like the messages you send friends, just kind of throwing them in like acknowledgement. Does it stem from that moment of expressing love and just letting people know? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say it's just, um, I would, for anyone out there, like, I mean, it just kind of, it takes a little bit of like practice to do it just, you know, and then kind of like broaden that circle as you need to, but like, who cares? Just tell the people who are cool that you love them. It's Okay. There's great people on this planet. I think, you know, 98% of people are good and want good for you and for the world. And um, it's easy to be a good one. Yeah. And, you know, and we have a similarity in our in our paths in regards to the suddenness of the death. You know, my dad, 9-11, I forget, I knew that. And I think once you experience something so sudden and someone's taken from you so quick, as you alluded to, it really, you know, really uh, exposes the fragility of life and how in a split second things can change, which then sheds a light on the importance of each moment. And when you get an opportunity that you missed right there, as, as small as it was, you know, it, it definitely could pack a punch on you. But, um, you know, it's, it's nice to hear that you apply that with your everyday life and you don't want to miss a moment again. Yeah, that's a really interesting point you made about the, the suddenness that it can be sometimes. You know, it's suicide, overdose, you know, I, the World Trade Centers or, you know, a car crash. Sometimes we just don't get the chance to tell people what we wish we could have. So in your experience, how did the suddenness aspect impact you or your, your grief type of process? You know, it has a big shock factor. 
And I think that explains, you know, our similarities in the traumatic defense mechanism of blacking out such a thing. And I think, I feel like there is just that force of shock. And I think that shock clearly does something to your body. I think there's an inherent shock with trauma in general, where if it's just whatever the kind of death is, even if it's a slow burn or not, but definitely the shock factor in, in me personally, just how ridiculous that day was. And, you know, it, it really leads you onto a path of, once again, I just said it a moment ago, of just understanding how fragile life really is and to take every moment and to not wait because I think that's a big thing. I think we all think we're working with uh, more time than we have or more time than we know we'll have. Like that's like the the non-absolute part of life. We don't really know how much time we have. We hope we have a long life, but you don't know. So we say, I'll do this tomorrow, procrastinate, whether it's a simple, I love you. It's easy to push it away. And I think if having such a shocking death be a part of our lives really just makes you realize the importance of just doing shit sooner than later. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a, there's a million lessons to pull from it, but in regards to the grief, you know, I was younger, so it's uh, hard to understand what I did as a kid. It, it kind of happened later in my life. And I, and I heard someone recently tell me, um, I had uh, Claire Bidwell-Smith on, great guest. She's wrote and written a couple books regarding grief. And she mentioned from 28 to 32 is such an interesting age to reconnect with the people you love. And I was wondering, now that you're 32, have you noticed, when she said reconnect, just whether it's you know, obviously internally of having you know, a kind of relationship with your father still intangibly? Have you noticed anything with that or not really? Because I'm curious to ask you at being at 32, have you had a, a reconfiguration with your father regarding either perceptions or still grieving or anything with your relationship regarding uh, interpreting it at the later stages of your life, if that makes any sense at all? Yeah, that's a really good question. So from I'm, I'm knocking out the good questions right now. You're, you're making yeah, me feel you good really right now. Yeah, you really are. So from 28, so... <laughs> Yes. Okay. So I would say from 28 to 32 has been, if I could take like a four year chunk of time, I would say the last four have probably been the most like transformational for me. Um, and also at the same time, I look for the signs. I think we all kind of do that. You know, it's like, oh, this was my dad's favorite song. And I walked into the grocery store and it's playing or, you know, that was my dad's favorite car and like the same color or whatever. And I think we all do that like innately because we want to feel secure, you know, that there's more to life and that we might see them again one day or talk to them wherever, you know, spirit world is. And, um, I think it gives us a sense of security that way. And that's okay. Yeah. It is remarkable how she was, she kind of hit the nail on the head there. So that's why I want to ask more people that, that are in our age bracket, uh, to see if they notice that, you know, it's, I, I never really understood why she's, I don't know if it was an arbitrary reason, but you know, you said it, you had, you're having beers with your dad a week before you guys seem to really be doing well. So that that's got to really linger on thinking how much you've missed out on, you know what I mean? So I think that stings and that stuff, that stuff stays with you later. So you really think about it as a grown man with your own successes you have right now, missing that shit. So it just really makes you think as you go on, this is a kind of a, I guess a two-part question, but is there anything that you would have done different? Either from, either from that day or before, in just in general relationship with your dad or the grieving process specifically, is there anything that you would have done different? And then to follow up that, to also prolong the question to give you something to think about and how to answer that question, what do you think is the best thing that you did as well? So to start, is, is there anything, maybe not at all, that you would have done differently to start? Man, that's a hard one. I've never thought about that. I know, me either. I'm kind of asking it out loud. I'm like, what the hell would I have done differently? <laughs> Yeah, I think I would have tried to be a better friend to my dad as much as much as I could have. I just didn't understand the stuff that he was going through. And it was just, it was normalized behavior 
for him to spend all the money on beer. And then, you know, we don't eat, but my dad gets drunk and then he gets, he goes to bed at like 5 PM and now I'm starving. I think that that's, uh, that's what I would have done differently is attempted to be a better son and friend to my dad though. You know, I just, I really didn't understand what he was going through, even though I was living in the same household as him. Isn't that remarkable? You think you know someone when you're that close, but there's still so much, you know, someone either keeps from you or you just don't take the time to. And what about the second side of that question in regards to, because you've already, you've already said some of the things that you could even probably repeat, but in regards to the grieving process after your dad's death, what do you think has been your best token to let yourself heal as much as you can? I'd say I developed a decent amount of audacity. Um, I told you when I was a kid, I was like, I was really shy, really reserved. I didn't talk to girls, didn't really believe in myself. I was a decent football player, but that was pretty much the only like level of like actual confidence that I had. The rest of it, um, I just kind of cowered in the corner. So through my, um, my whole grief journey with my dad, I just developed a huge, uh, like a level of audacity to just not care. The worst thing that someone's going to say to you is no, you know, but what if it becomes the best thing ever? So we're sitting here with you. I mean, it was, it, it was uncomfortable for me to send you a message and be like, Hey man, like I've never talked to you in my life before then. And I am now telling a stranger that like my dad killed himself, but I'm glad I did. And because I hope that, I mean, I told you this on the phone too. Um, I just hope that this positively affects one life. If, if that's all it does and someone out there, if their friend or parent or, you know, sibling has committed suicide and they're feeling afraid, feeling hopeless, feeling that whole range of feelings, there is so much hope on the other side of what you're going through. I know it, it's hard and it sucks and it does get easier. So it's okay. Keep going and have the audacity to not give a shit what anyone in the world thinks of you and just go be your best self. And that's really where life begins. Yeah, I love that. And you know, I think you said something specifically right there. I'm paraphrasing, but what if this ends up being the best thing? You know what I mean? Like it's it's always the what ifs are usually seemingly what ifs are so often negative. Like, oh, what if that happened again? That which which you know feeds the fear and feeds the lack of audacity. But you ask such a powerful, you just flip the question. What if this is the best thing? And you're you're scared to do something, but what if this is the, what if this works out? What if this is fantastic? What if this is the best decision I can make? And look, and that little switch, that little nuance of a question of just flipping it is like arguably like the best thing you could have done. And I think that's such a fantastic thing for people to say when you start asking those negative questions or you start saying, what if this brick falls on my head as a terrible example, but you know, you could just simply flip it and ask a positive question instead of a negative question. And that literally seemed like it changed your life. Yeah. I kind of call it uh, the gift of grief. So, I mean, grief is not easy. No one will tell, no one would tell you that. No one would tell you that it is easy. If it is, you're, you're fucking crazy, but yeah, seriously. Um, and not to like, not to at all try to like flex or be, or be all pompous, but yeah, coming up, you know, being a poor kid whose dad commits suicide, the, the suicide rates for someone who has been a part of someone who, someone else who has committed suicide, I believe we're seven times more likely to do it ourselves than is the regular person because it's a potential reality that we've seen. Also, alcoholism. Statistically, I'm just not supposed to be where I am. And that was just me just rejecting all of the negatives that I was 
that I learned from my dad as a kid. And so I allowed myself to feel like, feel that through the grief process, through making really good friends and, and hanging out with them and watching their parents love each other and watching them interact with their kids. I think this is, this is a bit off topic, I think, but I believe people just kind of lay down and let the statistics of what they are supposed to be allow them to live the life that they don't want to live. But it's okay to, as you, you know, as you just said, David, just flip it, flip it on its head. What if you're supposed to dig your way out of this life and become, you know, more mentally powerful than you would have been otherwise? This can be one of the best things to happen for you so long as you are kind of swimming with the current rather than swimming against it. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting that you say, you know, grief obviously isn't easy, but how it could be a good thing. And I think it goes, it really stems back from just how you just flipped it on its ass. And I, and I think that is a lesson to be learned for people that are in a shitty situation right now that, and it's very easy to lay down. Honestly, I think uh, as hard as grief is, because I think it's very easy just to lay down and just accept the quote unquote temporary re- reality that I think is transitory and you can get out of it. But um, it, it really just starts with flipping that switch and that decision that you made not to just lay down. Um, and then I've always asked how do people that feel like they have no meaning find a meaning? And I, I just might ask, maybe just ask that question. It's like, you know, maybe, yes, this is hard right now, but yeah, why, like you saying, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? Really just flip the question and says, maybe this is the, a really good thing and just, and just start getting creative in that aspect. And I don't know, I think, uh, seeing you get out of a situation like that, seeing that firsthand and not being on the statistic is a big thing, especially, you know, the last year, year or two years, suicide has definitely been uh, only getting worse, it seems, from what I've read and listened to. So I think it's really important that you're speaking of this from someone who has witnessed it and decided, you know, not to let that engulf you as a young man. So uh, it seems like you have a lot to be proud of. Yeah, it's so, uh, yeah, to even speak into that more, there is now in Idaho anyway, which is where I am, there is a suicide prevention and awareness campaign for children. And that it's just, I just can't believe that. That is mind blowing to me that children ages four and up even understand how to do something like that to themselves and carry through with it when they have so much time left to have hope and live a life and, and uh, positively impact the planet. So there's a suicide prevention program for younger kids. What is the idea behind that? Is that is that because these kids are depressed or because they just see it as a potential future and they want to get ahead of it? What is what is the strategy there? That's crazy. That's wild. Never heard of that. I know. Yeah. I've only I've only learned about it for a few weeks. So I think it is uh depression, but it's mostly from I I mean depression in like a non-clinical form, probably, but I think there's a lot of just general bullying, a lot of comparisons to be made like once you're like probably seven or end up um kids are just kind of mean yeah it's not easy but it's not easy growing up as a kid especially this day and age i'm not jealous of i feel bad for some of these kids and like my own nephews and nieces are you know it freaks me out a little bit it makes me i don't want to worry i'm not a worrier but it's not easy this is a tough time yeah absolutely totally agree and and like i said no matter what there's always a better tomorrow if you're searching for it but you have to be looking for it yeah, you really threw me for a loop with that children's suicide prevention. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna have to look that up and start getting a little more educated on that. I don't, I can't really want to speak on that without knowing what the hell's going on. Let me ask you this: 
I feel like your question was really good earlier. Um, Which the one? Whole... There was like five of them. There's <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of them. I'm totally I've got, a, I've got a I've got a list right here actually. <laughs> oh, um, shit. Okay. Uh, I really liked your question of what would you have done different if you could have done something different, and then what have you done that you're proud of? Yeah, Are you asking me that? You flipping it on me? Yeah. You know, you put me on the spot. Now I, now I know what it feels like to be you. Uh, you know, just to start with what I would have done different. Because you were only 12, right, at the time? Yeah. What I wish would have happened different immediately was kind of out of my control, which was I re- remembering more. <laughs> That's my biggest thing now is like I wish I remembered more, but maybe more something I could have really grabbed onto. Is I wish I, f- I, I feel like, I don't know, maybe I was, but I feel like I wasn't the man of the house, even though I was. You know, I remember someone telling me that when I was young, I mean, like a young age saying, you're the man of the house now. I don't remember who said it or when it was, but I wish I really absorbed myself in that more, you know, because it was my sisters and my mom. And I don't know if I, how well I took that to heart as a kid. And maybe I did because there's so much I don't remember, but I, I don't feel like I did. So I'd have to ask my mom, but. And I, I guess that is a tall te- – looking back at, like, my nephew, who's only 10 now, I'm, like, looking back at him being 12 years old, I feel like that is a tall task to ask a 12-year-old. But part of me feels like, I know, at least in my head, that maybe I could have stepped into that role even more and hopefully try to take the burden off my mom a little more. But then I'm like, what the hell could I have done? But that, that I don't know. Maybe that's a cop-out of an answer, but that's the first thing that came to mind, and I'm sure I'm going to think about I mean, other things that I probably should have said. But in regards to what I'm proud of, just not going down the wrong way and, and staying positive. You know what I mean? I think, uh, I know I owe a lot, like I've said in the past, I definitely owe a lot to the people that are around me, obviously my mother and my sisters and many, many, many more people who know who they are that were so intricate to us getting through it, but like not losing track and not going down a bad rabbit hole and potentially asking the question, the positive questions about this and seeing the positive in this, because honestly, at 32 years old, I have seen the positive from this as messed up as it is. It's made, it's definitely changed my life for the better. Obviously there's plenty that has changed it for the worse. I would give all this back to still have my dad, obviously, but, um, I definitely am proud of the fact that I've been able to, you know, leverage it in a positive light. And I'm hoping, you know, this podcast is one of those steps, but like you said, there's a lot of lessons to be applied to grief. This is your choice if you want to take it that way. Yeah, exactly. Man, that's interesting. Do you do you feel um, a connection with the other families of those who passed away on 9-11? Yeah, I mean, there's always that innate just uh, kind of tip your hat type thing when I see you know a lot of them at the memorial. So yeah, there's a connection. But I, I honestly, I, I know obviously I know people in from my town that have lost someone and friend and whatnot. But I, I'm actually I would love to have someone on here on this podcast that lost someone on 9-11 because I feel like I haven't had too many conversations with those that also lost someone as like a father or something or someone as close as that on 9-11 face-to-face, you know? It's always been kind of in passing, like I said, at the memorial every year or this and that. But I would I would like to have a conversation with someone uh, face-to-face, sit down like this and really hear more perspectives because you know, I only know it from my own family's perspective and it would be interesting to hear others. So, of course, there's an innate connection of just you know, similar experiences, but I uh, I think that's kind of where it stops. Man, that would be that would be such an interesting episode. 
yeah, it's, I mean, there's definitely, uh, there's definitely a lot of us out there. So yeah, uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try to reach out to some and see if it's something they want to talk about. Uh, cause obviously it's such a public thing. So it'd be, it'd be, yeah. it'd be cool to actually hear other perspectives outside of mine that, you know, cause it, it, that's part of the part of this thing is for people to hear your story and what you've gone through and that are really, you know, I, I guess I think that what you, what you've gone through is such an important topic in general, but especially this day and age, you know, hopefully hearing a story like you getting through your father committing suicide might, might help someone. I think that's part of it, but I've realized these conversations are a good, great for me selfishly. Like I've, I've made realizations just from us talking the last 45 minutes. And, um, I just think there's so much to gain just from this conversation alone, whether you've gone with through it, gone through it or not. And it's just a part of life. Yeah. I mean, we've all, uh, everyone's going to eventually go through it. So better to do it with a little bit more knowledge and just listen to some people who have also experienced it too, in a number of different ways. Amen. Amen. So dude, I want to thank you for, uh, taking this time. I feel like I should have invited your dog on here. Cause I feel like I saw him running around the entire time, but yeah, he was trying to play with me the whole time. So I was like, I had my arm down kind of shaking him away. You, you did that. Well, my man, thank you so much for, for being on this. I don't know if there's, if there's any, I mean, I think you already had a couple mic drops on here, like just talking some, uh, some wisdom on people, but if there's any last minute things you want to say, uh, let me know, feel free to, to take the stage, but I do want to thank you so much for sharing this story. It's a great, it's a phenomenal story. I think you've handled it with grace. And you've shared a lot of lessons on here that I'm going to sit with. And hopefully, like you said, at least one person takes something from it. So I want to thank you. Yeah, man. I uh, will honestly like thank you a ton for having me. I'm, I'm really glad that I also gained you as a friend, you know, in this. Uh, this is this is stuff humans need to do more. This just have hard talks, create connections, help people, you know. And when you have when you have a platform like you do, to be able to come on here and tell my story and just, you know, hopefully connect with at least a few people out there who have felt the same or similar. Like this, these are the things life is about. So seriously, thank you for having me. Amen, man. I will definitely stay in touch and I'm going to try something at the end. So I got this new roadster, this little like mechanism for recording the podcast. And at a tap of the button, I can, enter, I can enter the theme music. So let's see if that works. You hear that cueing out? Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's just cue that out. This, I figured I'd try this at the end of the episode. So if I blew it, it wouldn't ruin the whole episode. So my man, fans, thank you so much for being on here. Um, and uh, we'll talk soon, okay? Yeah, sounds great, man. All right, brother. I really appreciate your time. Oh, yeah. Take care. Take care.